The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 483, for Sunday, January 12th, 2014. To the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Out, the show where you hear about some of the questions that we answer from you. Wow, I screwed that up. You send in questions, you send in tips, you send in cool stuff found. We answer them, the questions anyway. We share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, and together we all try to learn a little something new each and every time we get together here back in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Yeah, you're a bit uh, quick on the trigger there with the. Uh... But anyways, yes, you're back. Welcome back, Dave. Thank and you, here, <laughs> And you'll probably tell us where you've been. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. That's right. So we finished the last show right before I left for the airport. Um, and I, I did wind up spending the night in Chicago, but it was, believe it or not, not, at least according to the airline, due to weather. Uh, they said it was due to uh, some computer system that United had. They 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 were putting something on online to deal with the new crew rest requirements. I think this is kind of how it was explained to me. And the uh, putting the system online that Friday, uh, for whatever reason, caused a third of their fleet to be grounded for like three hours. So uh, so that caused me to miss my connection. But because it was the airline's fault and not the weather's fault. They put me up in a hotel room, so I got to uh, hang out with Mac Geekab listener Barry, and then I went back to the airport. Um, he came and picked me up actually at the airport, and uh, then you know we went and had a couple of drinks, and and then I went to my hotel, and then I went back to the airport in the morning and made it to Vegas for New Media Expo and for uh, then CES right Ooh, after that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I ranted a bit about CES, and we'll talk about some of the things I found there, but. Uh, in a general sense, the plan that I went into CES with this year worked flawlessly, N- nearly. Well, uh, uh, it was it was the most productive CES that I've ever had. The more planning you put in to that show, the better, uh, the more you get out of it. I planned a lot of meetings. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of aimless time on the show floor because it's just too expansive. Um, I did a little bit and we'll talk about some of the stuff that uh, that I found. But for the most part, it was it was actually quite great. So. Uh, I'm pretty stoked about it. Let's uh, let's get into the show. And then and then throughout the show, we'll talk about some of the stuff that I saw at CES and uh, and New Media Expo, which was also an excellent, excellent show. Really, really good. You got to go to that one, man. It's it, just being a podcaster. It's um, it, it's a great show. There's a lot of good a lot of good sessions that that I saw I actually participated in it in what I think was probably the best session of, of the of the week, but or the weekend. But, you know, that goes. Without yeah, well, that's the one that you you were part of. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. Which was, uh, I think, something along the lines of, let's turn that down, um, along the lines of how to how to make a, a, a good podcast, right? A good sounding podcast, yeah. <laughs> good Which, sounding. Right. right. Which we had our own uh, little struggles with here for the last 20 minutes. So... Let's get the show on the road. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is our sponsor for this show, which is Gazelle. Gazelle uh, is, put simply, the place where you're going to go to sell your old uh, Apple products, be it uh, computers or iPads or iPhones. If it's time to upgrade and you don't have someone to just gift your old Apple electronic to, check out Gazelle. 
uh, it's really simple. You visit gazelle.com and tell them what you have and they'll tell you what the price is. And this, you, you can get that done almost as quickly as I explained it to you. It's super easy. You don't need to create an account first or anything like that. You just go. And from the, the moment you hit their homepage, you're already moving along. You tell them, you kind of narrow down the device. It's, you know, is it a, a an iPad, an iPhone, et cetera. And then what kind and, and, and how big and done. Uh, then they're going to give you a price based on the, the kind of the, your description of the condition and they help you narrow that down uh, and give you some guidance on it. Then they send you a box free of charge to you. You ship it back to them free of charge to you. You fill out or they, they evaluate it, make sure it matches what you said that you actually sent them a 16 gig, you know, iPad as opposed to a 32 gig. And if you did send them the 32, they're going to shoot you an email and say, Hey man, you sent us something different. Uh, or the conditions different, we're going to pay you less or more. And in the case of, you know, you sending in a 32 versus a 16, they're going to tell you they're going to pay you more. And we've heard from you folks that they have done exactly that, uh, both based on condition and uh, specs. So uh, then once you, 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 if they agree, if they agree with what you sent them, then they just send you money. There's no more back and forth. If there's a disagreement, uh, like I said, they'll let you know, and then you get to pick, do I, want my stuff back again, free of charge, or do I want the amount of money that they've told me that it's worth? And, uh, and then they pay your money. So you spend no cash out and everything's on them. And then they send you cash. It's very, very simple. And they can do it via Amazon gift card if you want. And actually you get a little bit more, uh, or via PayPal and you just get your flat, uh, you know, you get the amount that you're due or they, I think they'll even cut you a check if you want. So check them out. Gazelle.com. They'll ask you through the process where you heard about this. Of course, you're going to tell them you heard about it on Mac geek gab. Uh, that lets them know that we told you about it. And, uh, and that's a good thing because uh, they've been with the show for a while supporting us. And we certainly appreciate that. So that's gazelle.com. And that's where you're going to go. And with that, John, I throw it to you and you're going to throw it to Paul. Don't throw things at me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you warn me first, in which case that's cool. Right. So anyways, then Paul, we're playing catch. That's right. 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 Uh, so Paul wrote in and, you know, this, this this is a great question because it, it, it led me down a path of discovery and I learned something, Dave. And I think we're all going to learn something here. So here's the question from Paul. He says, hi, guys. A bit of a strange question I'm hoping you can help with. And it goes like this. I use Pathfinder because it enables me to use colored folders with Mavericks, and it says I've got 271.3 gigabytes available on my hard drive. When I look in the Mac OS Finder, it shows I've got 302.25 gigabytes available. When I look in Disutility, it says I've got 291.39 available. The question I'm hoping you can help me with is, which one of these is correct and why? And so that had me scratching my head, Dave. And so I did a bit of a... Uh, uh, research here and I found what I thought was a probable cause for this and one reason for this is you may have something called time machine local snapshots enabled and there's a dandy Apple support article uh, that, that goes into this uh, it's HT4878 of course we will link to it Um. And so, so what is a local snapshot? And the thing is, Dave, I did not, I have not encountered this. The reason being, Dave, is that I, and I think you also, well, I use something called Time Machine Editor, which kind of circumvents the normal time machine mechanism. And along with that, it disables this thing called local snapshots. 
So oh. I had never run into this. I have I have this on on my on my air because I I don't use Time Machine Editor on my air. You uh, do. All right. So so very briefly. So of course people can read the article here, but this is an enhancement that was made. I think starting in uh, according to the article, Mountain Lion, or actually Lion. Yeah. So normally when you think about Time Machine, Time Machine is a backup that's made from your computer to an external drive. But then they added a little enhancement here called a local snapshot. And and it's a little different in that it doesn't make a backup to a time machine drive, but it actually makes a, what we're yeah called a local snapshot to your local drive. Yeah, and, and, and to be to be fair, it doesn't replace time machine. This adds to time machine for when you're correct. not connected to your your default backup device. That's right. Correct. Um and actually, if you go into the time machine interface, uh, so the article says this, but I'm just going to go over the, the high points here. But if you go into time machine, you will be able to tell the difference between the two, because in the uh, in this on the screen that shows the different backups, backups that are on your remote time machine drive will be uh, kind of reddish purple, I guess. And local backups are going to be shown as gray tabs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, the thing is, I looked, and the thing is, because I, I again, I'm using Time Machine Editor, which which kind of disables Time Machine, or, or does it differently, I never saw these gray tabs. So I wrote back to him. I want to keep the thread here. So I basically wrote back, and I said, well, maybe having this local snapshot could account for the difference. Sure. And I said, do you see anything in the backups category Ah, and the answer here is that if you go into, um, you know, about this Mac from the Apple menu, from the Apple menu, uh, more info, and you go to the storage category, you're going to see uh, looking at your hard drive, you're going to see a number of uh, categories here. And I'm looking right now uh, on my, my Mac mini and I see audio, movies, photo app backups. Now, until I enabled this thing, that backups category always had zero gigabytes in it. But once I enabled this feature, so I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here, but I asked him, could that be it? And he wrote back and said, thanks, John. That's the kitty. <laughs> K-I-D-D-Y. I like it. I think he's, he's yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, from across the pond there because he also spelled something oddly. <laughs> Or at least something uh, he spelled something that was not the way that I would spell it. So, it. yeah. So, so uh, I, uh, but he said uh, that was it. It shows that I've got 13 gigabytes of backups on my SSD. And then he said, I remember in snow line. Okay. I think he means snow leopard. I disabled these, but I can't seem to remember if there's an option to do this Ma- in Mavericks. Mountain do you know if- is what he meant. Yeah. But yes. that's okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think he said he disabled it. He said, do you know if there's an option to do this in Mavericks? Uh, he said he did a DuckDuckGo search. Uh, apparently, he doesn't like Google. DuckDuckGo is apparently an alternative uh, uh, search engine. Very and, anonymous, and, from what I from what I've okay. heard. I think so. Yeah, but anyway, okay. go ahead. Yeah, uh, and he said there was some mention of a terminal command, but thought I'd check with you first to see if you knew of a way of disabling these in the GUI. Also, do you know if I can delete this backup? And um, the answer is yes. I did some further research, Dave, and. Uh, so there are ways to do this. So from the terminal, and I did this because I wanted to enable these days because it sounds like a handy thing because I typically on both my drives have a lot of extra space and the more backups, the better as, we, as we've discussed in the, in the past, you know, you can never have too many backups. Sure. Well, uh, 
Uh, well, you could. <laughs> I don't think you could. No, I mean, if you have the disk space, hey, you know, make as many backups as you can. Sure. Uh, now, if you want to disable these, which is what he was asking. So that's the first thing I'm going to talk about here. What you want to do is you want to go into the terminal and you want to type in sudo space tmutil, which I'm going to guess is time machine utility, and then space disable local. And there's not a, I, I don't have my air with me, John, but there's not a checkbox in, in system preferences to turn that off. I, I swear that there was not, uh, uh, only the, on not, laptops, not, not that I'm aware of. Okay. It would only show up on laptops, not on your desktop, you know, Mac mini, iMac, etc. But I could have sworn it was in, you know, system preferences, time machine options, but I don't have my air with me. So I, I could be very, very wrong. And I, I could have dreamt this. Well, hold the, the, I'll, I'll, I'll look briefly here. Let me look on my, my portable. Well, no, but I enable it on both my machines, Dave, not just the uh, options. Let me look here. I, uh, I don't see anything here. Even on your MacBook Pro. Correct. Running okay. Mavericks. So yeah. I, I don't okay. see any All way right. through the GUI to do this. So Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So the only way I know to do this. So, so again, I answered this question and said, if you want to do it in the terminal, you do what I just said. There's a couple other things you could do. If you want to take a single snapshot, you can say tmutil space snapshot. And that's the first thing I did to just prove to myself that this feature works. And once I did that and I went back to this category in the system info, it then showed me that there was data in this backups category. Yeah. And then in my case, I wanted to enable it, to experiment with it. And so far, I think I'm going to leave it enabled. Now, again, in my case, because I'm using time machine, uh, time machine editor, uh, this was the only way I could really enable it. Maybe there's another way. If people know, let us know. But the way you would enable it is you would type sudo space tmutil space enable local. Makes sense. I'll buy that. So I'm in kind of a weird situation and that, again, I'm circumventing time machine because right. technically in the time machine utility, it, says, it still says it's off. But I was able to enable this feature. So and I got the best of both worlds. You're circumventing Time Machine because you've used Time Machine Editor to alter, Correct. To, to create your own Time Machine schedule. Correct. Because if I go into Time Machine on both of my machines, because I use Time Machine Editor, it shows the, the little slider. It shows it's off. Right. But it's really not. Right. Because Time Machine Editor is taking care of scheduling these. Interesting. The, the, and the thing I noticed, Dave, is once I enabled this local feature, the icon in the menu bar changed from gray to not gray. Ah. It is now a solid black. So it's kind of hinting at the fact that, okay, you've enabled some native right. uh, time machine functionality. Huh? Cause yeah, at first I was like, Oh, that's different. Yeah. So, so that answers the question. And, and the thing is they even say in the article at the very end of the article here, just, just so, you know, people don't worry about this. So number one, you could say, and you, you know, we kind of had a theme here going when we were talking pre-show that sometimes your computer lies to you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but they say at the very end of the article, they say, note, you may notice a difference in available space statistics between disutility finder and get info. Those differences are expected and can be safely ignored. The finder displays the available space on the disk without accounting for the local snapshots because local snapshots will surrender their disk space if needed. Cool. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And it's a, it's a great feature that I'd never really been aware of, Dave, but yeah. I 
I think it's a good thing. Again, when you're not connected to your time machine drive, this is a, a good fallback. Yeah, it, get, well, you, it gives you that the ability to to have um, uh, 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 versions of files that you've edited and, and, you know, that sort of thing that time machine sort of auto automatically right. provides. And they yeah. advertise this is good for if you accidentally whack a file. Yes. Yeah. It's not good if your drive dies because it's all stored on the same on the same drive. Right. But if you whack a file and you accidentally delete a file and you don't have access to your time machine volume, then yep. this will save you. So that's it. So we had a question from Francis, John, um, that uh, that turns into something I'd like to share as a tip. He he wrote in and said, I'm having this problem where my computer just grinds to a halt and uh, and I can't do any searches and I can't look anything up and. You know, things are just really, really slow. And it turns out that it was Safari's top sites. So Safari's top sites will preload and show you uh, thumbnails for uh, the websites that you visit most frequently. And if one of those websites causes Safari to malfunction, well, then all uh, of Safari will malfunction because it's going to preload those. So you can uh, you can mitigate this in a couple of different ways. One way is to uh, go into Safari in general and it says Safari, sorry, Safari preferences in general and bring down the number of top sites to six. If you're if you're not using this, you want that number as low as as possible. Uh, then you can go and make sure it says new windows open with and insert anything other than top sites here. Uh, you could have new windows open with homepage and then also new tabs open with. And you want to make sure that that, too, is set for uh, something other than top sites. If you're using top sites, that's fine. But uh, but you've just got to be aware of what you're dealing with uh, in case it this runs down. It could be that, you know, top sites is, um, is, is, is misbehaving. So, uh, it, it's not, it wasn't obvious to him. And, uh, and so I figured it would be good to share. So, uh, you can reset the top sites by going to, uh, the Safari menu, choose reset Safari, which has the dot, dot, dot after it, which means you're going to get another dialogue. And then you can check a box that says reset top sites, and that will clear all of that out for you, uh, potentially clearing things up in Safari. So there you go. That's uh, that's a tip from from Francis because he he had to live through it. So hopefully you don't have to or at least you don't have to live through wondering what it is if you're having trouble loading websites in Safari, but everything else works. So thanks, Francis. You want to take us to Michael, John? Yeah, now this one is another one in 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 the thread of uh, your computer is lying to you. <laughs> Dear John and Dave, Happy New Year! I have a question about maps on OS ten point nine point one. Whenever I get directions, the distance comes out in kilometers. I can't for the life of me see where to change this to miles. I know it's a small thing, but having to do the conversion every time is less than convenient. Maps on my iOS devices have miles as a distance. I downloaded a little app called Converto that sits in my menu bar to have access to quick conversions, but it's still a pain. Any help would be appreciated. All right. So 
I've run into problems like this in the past, Dave. And uh, so number one, I think the United States is the last country in the world that hasn't figured out this metric system thing, which is in and of itself kind of annoying. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Right. I mean, for example, my uh, my um, scale at the Westin, which is where I, I stayed during that. CES, it had a minor uh, uh, measurement of kilograms, which I'm used to seeing on every scale in in this country. Right. It was a, it was an, an, an analog scale. It was a mechanical right. scale. And the main. So I stepped on it and I'm like, that's fine. I looked down. I'm like, what the. What is this thing trying to what in the stones? It's measuring my weight in stones. And so in in uh, in England, I believe they 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 use stones and uh, and and then pounds. A stone is 14 pounds for those right. of you that didn't know. So, you know, then and I posted this to Twitter and had quite a few of you from uh, from across the pond, as John is wont to say, uh, reply and say, yeah, I only know my weight in stones. They know that they're, you know, whatever, 13 stone, you know, four, four pounds or whatever. And, uh, and that's how, that's how that goes. So yeah, it's wow. They're even more, they're even more backwards than we are. Wow. I, well, in that stones, sense, stones, I know I, I, it, I couldn't believe it when I, I, I'm like, wait a minute. I know it's been a long day, but seriously, <laughs> Like <laughs> there's no pounds listed anywhere on here. It's just stones, but it was good. I did the math. So, yeah. I mean, is that like measuring like a horse in hands or that? Never mind. Sorry. Uh, horses right. are measured in hands. A hand is four. They inches. are. <laughs> a hand is four inches. That's right. But see, that's the other thing, right? That comes from uh, England, I believe measuring a horse in hands, mm -hmm. but hands are inches, not, not a, a function of centimeters. So, mm, yeah. right. So, yeah. All right. So I said to Michael, all right. And I've dealt with these. So, so this is an internationalization issue, in my humble opinion. And that's the direction I took here. And and I kind of got it. Well, no, I got it, Dave. But but there, there again, was a lie here. So I said, if you go to system preferences, language and region. And then you look at your region. My guess was that it was set to something other than United States. So that's one thing is on your Mac and also other major operating systems like Windows, you can indicate what part of the world that you're in. And, you know, good operating systems will tune the units, you know, your radix and, and you know, units of measure to whatever's appropriate for for your region. Sure. Now, the other thing is that, you know, he may want to dig a little further because you can also uh, click on advanced and you will see a measurement units category. And at least in this case, there are two of them, U.S. and the other being metric. And I actually verified this on my system, Dave. I actually tried this. So I changed this, you know, so I was doing stuff in maps and I actually changed this on the fly. And I would see maps switch between miles and uh, kilometers. Sure. And I was like, well, that must be it. And it was, but it wasn't. So so Michael got back to me. Thank you. And, and noticed something really weird. So he said, John, hi, I checked the system preferences and they were already set correctly. And that both region and the measurement units were what he expected. So then he said, I changed them to Greece and metric, quit maps and the preferences, checked again, and the maps were still in metric measures. I went back, switched the preferences back to U.S., quit everything again, restarted my machine, opened maps, and it's now in miles. Thank you for your help. It worked, but I'm not sure why. Sounds so that's like why a, I'm saying a, a corrupt preference entry, John. Absolutely. 
So what he was seeing was again, that's why I'm saying lies, lies all around. Yeah. Is that the computer was lying to him about what units were actually being represented and that it said it was you do, doing us, but it really wasn't. So he taught, and you know, I think, I think you, you in, in a couple of shows ago, Dave, you made a recommendation for another problem. That was the same sort of thing is toggling a setting will perhaps get it into the right state. So toggling it to something else and then back to what it should be, which is what Michael did. And brilliant, Michael. I mean, <laughs> and, and the reason, you know, it, I think it's, it's important to understand the underlying reason why that, why we suggest that. And it's that the entire OS, all of your settings and preferences and all of that are saved in text files. And they might not be text files, but bear with me here. They might be binary, binary P list files, but or they P- could. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and what you see when you go and visit something in system preferences or even in an application's preferences window, that is simply the computer reading the text file and doing its best to take the, the, the data that it's read in and represent it in this construct of a graphical uh, of, a, of a window. And and this window is constructed assuming that the data that it's going to read out of the preferences file matches a fine some one of a one or more of a finite set of options. If that preferences file has anything different in it, the data that you're going to get in the preferences window is up for grabs. You know, it it it's uh, the assumption, and and it's a fair assumption that most programmers are going to make is. I'm the only one messing with this file, so I'm never going to put anything in it that I don't expect to read out of it. And and that's probably true. But if something else messes with that file intentionally or not, or, you know, or that file gets damaged, then you might have this situation where like like Michael did, where you see something in the UI, but it's really not reflective of the file. So what he did was he changed it. Uh, to something else, rewrote the file and then changed it back, which rewrote the file again. So we're instead of whereas the user interface looked like two different things. We started with US, we switched to metric with them back to US. Uh, really, what happened is we started with something else that the computer said uh, it's US. Then we switched to metric. Then we switched to US. So three different versions of the file for two different versions of the UI. Hopefully that makes sense. That's that's sort of the underlying reason why. Uh, Michael did this and why we recommend this with preferences, especially in OS 10. So, and it's true in iOS too, because iOS and OS 10 sort of deal with things the same way. So that's, that's all right. I got. Yeah. Good. You're going to take us and to again, James. Go ahead. Sure. But again, it condensed that Dave lies that the computer was lying. <laughs> right. That's right. Absolutely. No, it fits. I'm with you. Why did, why did it do this? Okay. James has a really good one here. All right. So, hey, well, he wrote to me, but he, he should have written to a feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Wait, wait, did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I did, Dave, because I believe he wrote to me directly, which. Um, ah, so he uh, did not write to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, while we're here, I want to let you know that that's the address to write to uh, because that goes to both John and I. Unless, of course, you're a premium subscriber. And then, John, you can write to premium at MacGeekGab.com. See how easy that is? It's it's totally simple. Uh, but you don't have to write. You could send an audio comment inside that thing. Like you could attach it there. You could send screenshots or 
If you'd like, you could call us 206-666-GEEK, which John is 4335. And why are we doing this? Tell them how else they can contact us, John. (laughs) Oh, we might as well do it here. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab is uh, is a way you can find out when the next show is going to happen. We have some discussion and it's just a... A great place to be if you want your privacy invaded, right? It, uh, Sorry. Yes, that's Sorry, right. Facebook. Sorry, that's guys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> com slash stream is where you can join us during the live show and or when, live when we record this. It's the same show. Those of you that, that don't join us for the stream, for whatever reason, that's totally fine. Uh, you are by far the majority audience, but uh, but it is a pleasure to have a subset of you here with the stream. I'll say hi to everybody in the uh, chat room. They helped us diagnose some interesting audio issues before the show. So you can thank them too. Uh, and then, uh, and then you can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Mac gets you the show notes uh, and any announcements about the show. Uh, plus some tips that we do share from time to time. We might get a tip in that's so good uh, that we'll share it in the show, but we want to share it immediately with you too. And we share those on Twitter. So it's a nice little conversation we have. Uh, of course, twitter.com slash John F. Braun is him. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton is me pilot Twitter.com slash pilot Pete's that guy that uh, has been coming around more and more again lately. And of course, Twitter.com slash Mac observer. And John, I think that does it. So take us back to James. Wow. I'm glad you mixed it up here. So we don't have to do that at the end. So anyway, so, so I forwarded it and, you know, I replied. So, so again, please send the questions to the place that we sent here. Although I can understand why he'd want to send it to me and not you, Dave. Okay. Just kidding. (laughs) So, all right. So James says, hello, John. I just started listening to Mac Observer uh, or Mac Geekab a month ago, and he loves the show. I have a question about USB 3 ports and portable external hard drives. I have a two terabyte Western Digital USB 3 portable passport drive that doesn't use an AC adapter. It runs off USB for power. During large, large file transfers on my right USB 3 port on my Retina MacBook, OS 10 will randomly eject the drive. However, on the left USB port, this does not happen. Let me see if I can condense this here. Uh, let me know. Uh, me I, I think that's. I think that's good. I think you're fine. Just, that's it. That's it. Because right. that, that 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 highlights the problem and and allows you to share an answer. Okay. So to summarize, yeah, he he puts a drive in one port and and it's happy, and he puts it in the other port and it 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 gets ejected and and that's not right. And near as he can tell, I mean, there's nothing else connected to those ports, John, or is there? And, and that's a fantastic question. So number one, Dave, I did find. So, so I wrote back to him, but I am going to link again. You know how I love these Apple articles, because a lot of times there's somebody paying attention there. Yeah. So you have an article here. It's a HT 4049. I'll put it in the room here. All right. Yeah, and I did not send this to him, so I hope he's listening. But anyway, so this article here in our chat room. So again, it's a HT4049. And what's the title? Apple Computers and Displays Powering Peripherals Through USB. Wow, that sounds pretty timely. Now, the advice that I gave him, Dave, where to look, and, and the article kind of suggests this. So, so first, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell you what I told him. Uh, let me, let me, all right. So to me, Dave, the plus best place to look to understand what your USB port or ports can do would be to click on the Apple menu and you hold down the option key if you want the secret shortcut and you'll see a system information choice. 
And then once you do that, running system information, you're going to see a hardware category. And then under hardware, there's going to be several things. And you want to click on USB. What you're going to see there on pretty much any Mac computer that has USB is you're going to see a whole bunch of entries titled USB bus or something similar. Uh, and if a device is connected to it, you're then going to see an entry for that device. Uh, for example, in my case, Dave, I have you know the MacBook Pro early 2008, and I see Bluetooth USB host controller, Apple internal keyboard trackpad, IR receiver, and built-in eyesight under various buses. Uh, and if you click on a device, and to me, I think this is the important part. And if you click on a device, you're going to see two entries, current available and current required. All right. So quick electrical engineering lesson. What is current? Well, current is a measure that can be made of uh, electrical circuit uh, as to how much it can provide. And a quicker electrical engineering lesson. So current is measured in amps or milliamps. And that's typically USB ports are typically uh, provide power in either milliamps or amps. Amps times volts equals power, which is measured in watts. Now, the thing is, you can only uh, USB ports typically can only provide a certain amount of current. And the way USB works is that you have two things. Uh, the, the USB port itself knows how much current it should be able to provide. And then each device should uh, report how much it needs. Now, again, the topic here is lies, lies, lies. <laughs> Sometimes, and this is my suspicion, Dave, what's happening here is the device is not being totally honest about how much it needs. And that's why it's not working. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Now, the thing is also, well, what I suggested also that he, he wants to check out is look at this list, plug in your devices, and then look at the various entries here. And the article uh, leads you down this path as well. But the thing is, uh, I would suspect that there may be another device, an Apple or otherwise, like I indicated on my machine, there are several devices on the USB bus, Apple, Apple provided devices, whether it be a trackpad or an IR port or something like that. And I'm wondering if one port maybe has a device hanging on it that is drawing a certain amount of current and inside the, the computer hanging on it. Yes. And I won't know this until he collects the data here because sure. I don't have the, this type of machine. Um, I'm suspecting that one of the ports may have a device hanging on it where his drive is drawing enough current. Yeah. That well, it's exceeding that. And that's why it drops off the bus because the computer's like, get out of here. The drive's like, you're not giving me what I need. And sorry, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. freak out and drop off the bus. No, that makes sense. Cause because it, it's going to have one of the USB buses in the computer is going to have the keyboard on it. And one's going to have the trackpad and one's going to have the eyesight, right? The camera. And right. it, that's at least what you're going to see. And there might be others on that machine. I can't imagine what they would be off the top of my head. Uh, I don't think that machine has an IR receiver, but if it did, that would also be hanging off the bus. Right. So the, these things are all just USB devices. They just happen to be baked inside of your computer, but it doesn't change the fact that they are USB devices and connect to your motherboard via the same USB chains that are available on one or the other ports on, uh, on your machine. So, I mean, I think, I think the lesson here, John is if, if you find a port that works, Stick with it or use AC power to power the device and don't rely on bus power if you need to use it from the other port. Right. 
And now the article also says something very interesting. Now, the thing is, Dave, technically this should not be happening. Because Apple indicates that on their devices that are have USB 1.1 or USB 2, which in my case, my MacBook is both of my machines are like this. Apple claims they offer up to or they offer 500 milliamps at five volts on a USB port. And for the USB three machines, which this is one of them, they will provide 900 milliamps at five volts. All right. So, so their claim is that all of their ports should be providing the same amount of current measured in milliamps. Um, and, and looking at my machine now, this is the thing. Why? Why? But that's really never like been true. Back. Right. I mean, we've been hearing about what? this for years and it fits into your 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 um, intuitive theme of of the computers lying to you. Right. Now, the other thing is the device could be lying because the device, the thing is, when you program a USB device, you're telling it, OK, tell the computer this is how much current I need. It may be lying. It may actually be drawing more. OK. Yeah. OK. Now, in that case, that gets a bit technical in the in this case. I mean, if you want to do this, but this gets into, you know, pretty heavy geek stuff here. You get yourself something called a multimeter and measure the current and see if the device is lying. Now, you got to be careful, though, measuring current, measuring current is something that you do in series and that you uh, put it in series with the circuit here. And I, I don't know if I necessarily recommend that your average geek do this because you can blow things up if you don't do it right. Right, right, right. And I don't know if you grok what I said. I mean, measuring voltage is easy because you put it across two points here. Measuring current, you basically put it in line with the circuit here. And then the, the device, and assume, your multimeter, assuming that uh, it can handle the amount of current. Which, now does, uh, does, I think, does Schrodinger's principle apply here that by measuring it, you're altering your, your own measurement? Uh, I uh, a good multimeter should not should not do that. Okay, no, you put it in line, and it should it should tell you the amount of current that's going through a circuit. Because one thing I remember about measuring that is you can either measure the direction that it's going, the current is going, or the uh, amount, but you cannot measure both, right? Well, it should tell you. It'll tell you amps, right? You know how many how many amps are are flowing at that that. But I'm time. just saying in general, electric principles don't let you know uh, you can't you can't measure both the direction that the current is flowing. You're going to assume that the current you're measuring is is flowing mm. from the computer out to the drive, which because the drive doesn't have power is sure. a very safe assumption. But mm. like, for example, if you want to argue with your electric company, right, you could say that their meter measures the amount of current that passes through it. It cannot know which direction that current is going. Now, there's an assumption that it's coming from them to you. But if you're on your treadmill right. bike all day, pumping power back into the system or you get your generator running, which is illegal to, to pump power back into the system. But uh, if you did that, then it would actually rack up your bill. If you started sending more current you know, back across the line, which you're not supposed well, to do. Well, I don't know if that's the well, uh, you know, it has some, to be. I mean, that's just general Electric well, principles. Well, well, all I'm going to say is in some cases, Dave, there are places where if you have solar panels or something else here, you, you can actually contribute power to the grid. Right. But you get a different feed for that. Right. 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 Oh, OK. I see yeah, what you're saying. You know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 But in that, right. And they do that. I mean, they do that a so that they can measure it right. But also b so that when people are working on the lines, they know 
on this line, power is going to be coming back at us. So if, even if we disconnect it from the central switch, it might still be hot. And and that's why you want to be careful when you plug it, you know, when you hook a generator up that you do it the right way and you're not blowing up. Uh, you're not sending current back across the system. So, John, um, well, I have one more thing. Dave. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, to wrap this up. So it could be. So the thing is technically the USB ports, according to what Apple says here, should all be providing the same amount of current here. There could be a power management issue with the computer. And I believe in that case, I, I think the traditional a procedure to address power issues on most Apple computers is, I believe, an SMB reset. Is is uh, am I? Uh, are you with me on that? Uh, you said SMB. I'm sorry, SMC. SMC reset. Yes, yes, yeah. Yo, you threw me off. I'm like SMB. Where are we now? <laughs> I was thinking yeah, about S- the Heisenberg SM- uncertainty principle. Right. And I got no, I'm confused. sorry. So, well, yeah. SMB, of course, is the uh, Windows uh, networking protocol. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm getting acronym scrambled here. But SMC, no. you're totally right. Yeah. So the SMC is the system management controller in, in pretty much any modern Mac computer here. And this is something I think it's a chip or a circuit or something in the Mac. And it uh, one of the things it does is it helps manage power, which, of course, this is one of those things. So it could be that something scrambled the computer and for whatever stupid reason, it's uh, not managing the current through the ports properly. So an SMC reset uh, can never hurt in this case. And maybe that'll fix the problem. Yeah, no, the SMC reset should could do it. That's right. Yeah. That, that, you know, again, we've said it many times when you have a problem that seems like a hardware problem, the SMC reset uh, can often fix it without you needing to replace hardware. Not not all the time. I mean, obviously, there's there's some hardware problems that are truly hardware problems. But a, a settings corruption in the SMC can cause what appear to be hardware problems. Uh, so there you go. All right. So, John, you know, we're speaking about not all power ports being equal. And uh, and and those of us with. Various yeah. iOS devices have experienced what a nice lead in. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I'm sorry. Thanks. Go ahead. Okay. No, uh, <laughs> have experienced this for a while, right? You know, because the, um, the iPhones all require, uh, five Watts, right? Uh, sorry. Um, am I getting that right? Yeah. 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 Five Watts of power, uh, one amp, uh, half, half, one amp of power, right? And on you over USB, sorry, current, uh, current. Thank you. And uh, I knew I had my words all scrambled. See, I'm still all scrambled up. Uh, and and that's fine until and, and, and works great to charge an iPhone at full speed. But if you have uh, an iPad uh, other than the original iPad mini, then you want a uh, 10 watt power adapter or even now a 12 watt power adapter in order to charge those at full speed. And you'll see this when you, if you start charging from one, that's not, uh, that's only five Watts, you will get, uh, a, it will, if the screen is on, it will say not charging. And that's because there's not enough power coming in to power the device with the screen on and also charge it. But if you put the screen off, then it will charge, albeit very slowly to confuse matters. And this does confuse me because I have, uh, not only some iOS devices here, but the uh, Android devices that I've talked about, especially the Android tablets, they also need 10 watts of power. But here's the thing. If I plug one of those into my 12 watt or a 10 watt uh, iPhone 
or iPad adapter, it only charges at slow speed. And conversely, if I plug my uh, Android tablets into, uh, sorry, if I plug my iOS devices into the Android charger, which all have just standard USB interfaces, they only charge at half speed. Why is this happening? Well, it's happening because this is slightly non-standard and to do this and, and pull push more current across the uh, across the, the USB interface. So the device, your Android or, or iOS tablet. And when I say iOS tablet, I mean iPad uh, handshakes with the power source and says and there's like a little communication that happens and the device needs to trust that what it's talking to is going to deliver what it expects and not blow it up. And so if it handshakes and says, yep, you're an Apple thing, I'm happy. And then it gets more. And the same is true for Android. So this has been a uh, a source of confusion for people. And also it gets very interesting when you want to have like a multiple charger block that can do, uh, you know, five on some ports and, and 10 or 12 on the other, you know, one amp versus 2.1 amps. Uh, it gets very confusing. Because sometimes you have to have ports that are marked differently. Well, a common thread at CES this year uh, among some of the uh, product manufacturers was solving this problem. So you can just have powered USB ports that you you know plug into the wall or are battery uh, based ports that solve this problem and handshake magically with um, with any device that you plug into them. And by far the most uh, the what seems to be and I've used the products uh, at least for the last week uh, is a company called Anchor, A-N-K-E-R at I-A-N-K-E-R dot com. Their products are, I'm going to say, the nicest built and also the sanest priced because uh, they they're. They have these things. They they've come up with a technology that they call Power IQ, and that's their way of solving uh, this this handshaking issue and just sort of making it universal. But um, but they're also priced really well. For example, uh, there's this five port, uh, forty watt wall charger, right? So it plugs into an AC outlet, and then it has um, it's got five ports on it, and you can plug anything you want into any of those five ports. They are all treated equally. It can push a maximum of uh, eight amps out of the device. So you could have, say, three tablets and two phones plugged in, right? If you try to plug four tablets in, one of them is going to get shortchanged, right? Because there's just not an, or if you plug five tablets in, two of them are going to get shortchanged because there's not enough, you know, in in the eight to hit 2.1 for everybody. But, um, and it's like 26 bucks at Amazon is the thing. So that's for somebody that travels. This is an awesome uh, solution because it, you know, you've got five ports, one outlet and it's not a wall wart outlet. It's a standard plug. And, uh, and it just, it, it works. It's really, really handy. It's uh, I, I used it in my hotel room all week and, uh, and I loved it and, uh, and it's well built and oh, all that good stuff. Nice. Because that's serious juice, man, because as yeah. we discussed here, the thing is a lot of USB ports. Now, it's funny because if you review the article that, that I linked to, Dave, the thing is Apple makes some exceptions for their devices. Yep. If you connect to a USB port on an Apple computer and you have an iPhone or an iPad or something, yeah, it can request more juice. So they're kind of cheating. Whereas this device is is a non uh, 
not platform specific. Sure. Then, sure. As far as I can tell here, I mean, an eight amps. I mean, that's 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 got the juice, man. Oh, yeah. That's oh, great. it does. Yeah. And uh, and so and then they also have a, a series of battery packs that uh, that that they offer. And some of these battery packs have multiple outlets on them. Some of them have one. I've got one that has one. It's a 6,000 milliamp hour. So that's enough to charge an iPhone. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but about three times. Uh, it's about half a charge of an iPad, but, uh, but it will, uh, it, it'll push out full, you know, two amps, uh, of output. If, if your device would take that, it's got the same kind of port on it and that's 30 bucks for a 6,000 milliamp. It's a really nice battery. It feels good in your hand. It's just one of those things that you, you know, you, you, uh, you don't mind holding and, um, it's good stuff. So, uh, you know, after using it and talking to these guys at uh, at you know Pepcom or Showstoppers, I can't remember which one, but one of those press events at at CES, it's good stuff. Really, really smart, um, good stuff. So that's um, that's that's one of the things I saw there at CES, John. And uh, and these, cool. these guys, you know, there were some people there with similar products. I wouldn't say they were they felt as well built, but um, uh, they. Um, you know, they wanted like 60 bucks for the double the price for the, the battery or whatever. And it's like, what do you see those other people over there that are doing this at the right price? So it's uh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't want to get too. I want to mention this, though, here, because, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we try to explain to people these terms here. So we have. Current, which is measured in amps, as we talked about, we have yeah. voltage which is measured in volts and combining those two comes up with something called power, which is in Watts. But there's also a measure that you touched on Dave called milliamp hours, which is another way of measuring the capacity of a battery. Mm. And I think that's just important because you touched on that. So, sure. so typically I think an iPhone battery. And if you think about this, I mean, you know, it kind of explains itself. So if you say that a battery has 2000 milliamp hours, I believe that means that over the course of an hour, it will you know, provide 2000 milliamps or two amps, right? Sure. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, so the math is pretty, and, and I guess the other thing is if you're talking about your power company, well, the power company does it a little different. I think most power companies measure what they give you in kilowatt hours, which is again, kind of a similar yep. measure, but, um, to do the math here, and, you know, I think we should link to an article that talks about these. But the thing is, that, you know, the relation between these things is is fairly straightforward. So, again, voltage times power equals or I'm sorry, voltage times amps equals watts. There you go. Cool. All right. We've got a couple other tips here, too. In fact, we're going to let Jed. Uh, we'll let Jed take this one away. We love a tip like this. It's good. Hey guys, this is Jed. Um, was just listening to episode 42 and uh, heard all your great stuff about iTunes and iPhotos on multiple machines. And I kind of wanted to chip in with what I do. Um, it requires Hazel. I think you could do folder actions or automator, but I use Hazel. Um, and, and I use Dropbox, but you don't need to. But for photos in particular, I don't like plugging in my phone. I don't like to sync it. Uh, everything else is cloudy, so I just plug it in and it's happy if I don't plug it into a computer. So what I have it do is I use the camera uploads feature of Dropbox, uh, which puts everything in my Dropbox in the camera uploads folder. I then have Hazel copy that to the auto import folder of iPhoto. 
And then next time I open up iPhoto, I have all my photos. And it's great. It works great. I actually go a step further, and I have a folder in my Dropbox called For Import. And if I put a photo in there, uh, if I put a song in there, if I put a movie in there, Hazel has a rule saying, hey, if it's a photo, throw it in auto-import in the iPhoto. It has a rule that says, hey, if it's music, which is actually held on another different machine, take that, slurp it in iTunes. If it's a movie over you know, a certain size, put it in the movie folder. Um, and it works really well. It's a, it's a great solution, I think, for multiple machines where things are going all over. And it's also really useful for when you get like an email with a picture and you don't want to open it on one machine or whatever. I just put it in the folder. I download it, I put it in that folder, and it works great. So that's just kind of my solution. Um, if you have any questions, you can... Uh, oh, here, cut me off, I guess. All right, we will cut you off. Awesome. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, I love Hazel uh, from noodlesoft.com. It's, uh, it, it is, it is one of those things, you know, being able to set these automated rules based on these kind of conditions is, uh, is excellent. So, uh, so Hazel, check it out at, uh, not only does it allow you to do, uh, that sort of automation, but it will also watch when you delete things and, and offer to, to uninstall and just really kind of keep your Mac as organized as possible. So, yeah. We love I gotta Hazel. check it out. Dude, I honestly have. N- I'm a simple man, Dave. You know this. I know. I know. <laughs> I got my tools that I like, but um, yeah. No, I know more than one one of my colleagues, including you, uh, like Hazel. Yeah. So yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. The cool part is once you kind of get it rolling, you sort of forget it's there until it stops. You know, until like you accidentally turn it off or whatever, and then it's like, <gasps> what am I missing? So yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, Jen. So I don't know where I found out about this next thing, John, but um, we both found it. I, I found it within the last week. Someone yeah. mentioned it. And it's uh, called so go. Yeah, it's called how's my And it will tell you uh, they do their own test and uh, they will tell you whether the SSL support uh, security support in your browser um, and, and yes, they really mean TLS, not SSL, but we all seem to, to say SSL. So, uh, that's what they, they report on and they go through a series of tests with your browser and then we'll come back and tell you whether things are, uh, good, bad, or, you know, questionable. And on, on the browser I'm on right now, John, uh, which is Safari mm-hmm. on my latest version of Safari. So Safari six, one, one on my mountain lion machine, because I haven't updated this to Mavericks yet. My SSL client is set uh, reports back as bad. So on, on Mavericks, it comes back as there's one thing that doesn't support uh, session tickets. Uh, but, uh, but Chrome and Firefox seem to, to report just dandy. So what is that? Are you seeing the same thing, John? Wow, that's very interesting. So on my mini, which is not running Mavericks, right? Uh, yeah, I get, I, I see a couple of bads. Yeah. Whereas Renee, uh, and that's funny because as far as last I checked, I'm running the same version of uh, Safari on both machines here, but it's running a different OS, right? Right, right. Huh. So that's a good thing because SSL now called, of course, TL. Uh, oh, wow. It even says here in big letters. Your SSL client is bad. Bad. That's right. 
Yeah, the important thing is that SSL, you know, kind of ties into our discussion about certificates and all that stuff here is that SSL, although it uses public key and certificates uh, underneath it all, it's doing, uh, you know, the secret key thing. And if it's not done properly, as this kind of suggests, um, yeah, people could uh, uh, possibly compromise your uh, network traffic. No, that's a good thing. Wow, that's really good. I know. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And it, it's, well, it's good because bad. It, well, it's bad because it says Safari and OS 10 is bad. It which, goes through and makes ex- me sad. It goes through and explains each of kind of the six general rules that uh, or general sections that it goes through and 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 grades you upon. So uh, so it'll tell you, you know, listen, we say that this is improvable or bad uh, and then they'll tell you why. And you can actually dig in and learn more. So, you know, good geeky stuff. All right, moving right along, um, we will go to Rick, because this is an interesting one. Rick pointed out, and we shared this on Twitter, too. I think we shared this on Twitter. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, MacGeekApp did, and uh, I have some commentary here, but uh, hit it off. So he he pointed us to an article that uh, shows how to access a semi-hidden setting or... or, um, utility in Mavericks uh, to get more Wi-Fi diagnostics than we've ever seen before. So the path is this, and it's important that you follow every direction because I did not. I saw the picture on the article and said, oh, I know how to get there. And then I couldn't get there. So you hold down the option key and click on your Wi-Fi icon in the menu bar. That's step one. Step two is at the very bottom. Now that you have done this option, click at the very bottom, it says open wireless diagnostics. Uh, it will ask you for your admin password, but st- enter that because you'll need it. But then stop there. It, it, it wants to walk you through uh, this whole thing. There's a splash screen that shows up and it's going to want to walk you through this test. And if you do it, then it'll say yeah, everything's great. And then you're, you're done. You don't get the information that we're looking for at that point where that splash screen comes up. Go to the Windows menu and choose Utilities uh, and then select. And and so now you're going to come up with this thing that has five tabs, Info, Frame Capture, Logging, Wi-Fi Scan and Performance. And you can you can spend quite a bit of time digging around in here because it's got this uh, frame capture thing has sort of a Wireshark like thing where it can it can uh, show you what data is being sent across your Wi-Fi interface, which can be really handy for diagnosing things. But the Wi-Fi scan. So the fourth tab that shows up is the one that will scan everything. It will come up with your uh It'll 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 sense what channels are being used around that computer. It won't necessarily sense your whole network, uh, but it will sense what's happening around the location of that computer, neighbors, networks, your multiple networks, etc. And then come up with a recommendation saying, here's what we believe are the best 2.4 gigahertz channels and what we believe are the best five gigahertz channels to use. And and I believe that's similar logic to what the airport base stations will use if you put them on auto channel mode. So, uh, so it's an interesting thing. So you, you may or may not agree with its channel choices. And I think that's where my friend, Mr. Braun here is going to, uh, going to chime in, but, uh, but I'm curious, John go. Well, no, I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. And actually a few people uh, that I've interacted with on, on the Twitters and, and otherwise, 
uh, I don't know if they violently disagreed, but they they indicated a concern that the uh, channel recommendations and I actually had a concern as well, Dave. So I ran this utility in my environment. Yep. And it said, yeah, you know what? I think you should be on channel two or three. And I'm like, eh, at least a 2.4 gigahertz right. channel two or three. Right. And as we've discussed, Dave, uh, for 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Uh, the non-overlapping channels are 1, 6, and 11, correct? Correct. That's right. So having, so I, 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 I got to, I want to understand their logic in looking at my environment, where I looked at my environment, Dave, and pretty much everybody surrounding me is either on 1, 6, or 11 at various, uh, you know, signal strengths and all that. Yeah. And and I'm just scratching my head as to why they told me I should be on two or three. Well, if you have my guess is that if you have people around you on one and on six and on 11, then it's got to go with a second best. Right. And and so they're going to try and squeeze you in between the channels that exist. Uh, and and so you don't you're you. You're right. You want to be on one or six or 11. But if the, if there's contention on those channels, then you can find sort of second best peaks happening between those channels. So that's going to be around channel three and around channel eight. And that's probably why it's telling us this. Uh, all right. I'll you know, I'll try it, though. Again, based on what I know, you know, picking these in between channels is. Well, listen, here's the deal. So at one, six and 11 are, are <laughs> now because I think I think we're, we're going to confuse people. It, there's nothing inherently wrong with picking any channel. And that includes right. two or three. Right. If They're all are, valid channels. If you are in a vacuum. Right. And mm-hmm. there are no a wireless vacuum and there are no other wireless networks available. Any channel you pick will ostensibly perform the same. There might be some, you know, arguments that higher channels or lower channels perform slightly better. But in general, every channel is going to perform the same if there's nothing, if there's no contention. But to limit contention, we say we know that channel one will kind of take up, you know, space three channels lower and three channels higher as it because it's it's sort of, you know, think of one as the peak, the apex of the channel. And then things mm-hmm. sort of slope in and out from there. And so knowing that we know that channel one kind of spills up to almost channel three and then channel six starts a little after channel three and goes up and, you know, spills down to channel nine and then channel 11 spills up, etc. from nine and, and goes past it. So if you can, uh, if let's say your neighbors are on six and one, you want to go to 11. But if your neighbors happen to be on channel eight for whatever reason, then channel three is awesome because that moves you. You know, we're moving the apex around. So here's the thing. If you've got contention on one and on six and on 11, there are gaps happening at about three and about eight. Now, they are not full gaps. They are as good as it's going to get. So if you've got massive traffic happening on one, six and 11, three and eight are better for you than trying to, you know, join in on one, six or 11 with other traffic. Uh, So I'm not convinced that this is a bad thing. You want to you want to look, you know, I think it's important. You can try it. Yeah, I would run iStumbler as well. 
right? Mm. Because iStumbler gives you a visual representation of who's where and what their power levels are. And so you can kind of say, well, yeah, there are people on one, six and 11, but the people on one are kind of far away. So I can probably use one and be fine uh, because that's, you know, not going to interfere. But if the power is equal across the board, then I would choose three or eight. It's again, it's non-optimal, but you're also making it non-optimal for your neighbors when you do that. Right. I mean, it's you're just dealing with the problem. So, right. Well, that's where I see is that, you know, it, it just you know, cascades into just, you know, Wi-Fi wars in the neighborhood and then just you know, nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody say on one, six or 11, just cut it out. Don't go to these. Well, but but again, if you've got, I, I get it. No, you know, I, I get it. Four, four I, networks around you. It's better to slide in the gap, even if the gap isn't quite sure. as wide as you would want it to be. Right. You're, you're picking the second best. So Sure. What I'm saying is that by you doing that, then you then further traumatize the other networks and then they may do, you know what Correct. I'm saying? It just kind of snowballs. So uh, it does. Yep. But no, I, no, I'd love to see their algorithm. No, I'll have to look at, uh, like you said, something like iStumbler, look at uh, who's around me, their channels, their relative signal strength and the noise levels and see if what they're saying makes sense. It, yep. it just struck me as odd because, yeah. you know, normally it's it's not something most people would recommend that you choose these odd channels. But right. Hey. Right. No, I, I would recommend the odd channels. If, if okay. everything else is, is saturated, of course, of course it's a, it's a gap. It's not a perfect gap, but it's, it's not mm -hmm. a perfect scenario for anybody. All right. So, you know, before we wrap up here, I, John, I wanted to talk about a couple of the other things that, uh, that I saw at CES this year there. Um, there was some cool stuff. Um, one thing I that certainly I certainly hope so. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I saw was from uh, our friends at, at Buffalo and uh, and they have a travel router, um, which uh, it, it's interesting. They you know, it's a two point four or five gigahertz uh, travel router. And the, hmm. the, the best part about this thing is it's tiny it fits literally in the palm of your hand it is two inches square it's got an ethernet port on it wow. yeah and uh and you power it via usb if you want and um and then it, it it has a switch on it and you can go five gigahertz or 2.4 they recommend that you know if you're just in a hotel room you use five because you don't need the range of 2.4 and uh and you probably have a whole lot less contention as we just uh as we just mentioned so that's um that's that's one thing that that I found very interesting there at CES. And the best part is it's it's not out yet. It's called the Air Station AC433. It's going to be out very, very soon. The MSRP on it's going to be 60 bucks. And they expect that you'll be able to buy them all day long at Amazon for 50. So 50 bucks for a travel router that you configure once. And uh, and then it just works everywhere that uh, everywhere that you go. So that's that was that was one of the things that. Uh, that I really liked. Um, nice. So again, it's a N or G or a N. I would. It's assume, N right? N. Uh, actually, no, no. It's uh, AC. Eight hundred two dot eleven AC. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's impressive. For, uh -huh. uh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, I know. Uh, in theory, could get you up to 
it will oh, go a gigabit. In, it, no, in theory, it will go right? four thirty three because it is single. Oh, okay, it's one by one. Oh, single uh, single band or single yeah, channel. Yeah, it's right it's four thirty three okay. on the five gigahertz and then one hundred and fifty. Oh. So it's N on the two point four and then AC on the four thirty three. But you can't use both radios simultaneously. It's one or the other with a with a uh, like a, a toggle switch on the unit itself. So. Okay. It's pretty cool. So uh, a good uh, option uh, to maybe like a airport express. It yeah, like. L- less less money and um, and much smaller. So yeah, I mean, it's good. I, you know, it's the kind of stuff I like to see. So uh, so that was one thing. Uh, another thing was it, this just blew me away. I put a video up and I'll 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 link to it. They. Um, one of the 3D or it's a company called 3D Systems and they had they were demoing a 3D printer technology. But uh, but this I mean, this was amazing. They had actually printed musical instruments and had a live band playing <laughs> in their booth. And I took some video of it. So I'll I'll put that up. It, it's amazing. I mean, they had drums that were they were they were drums and the dude was playing them. But it, they had a whole to make it visually interesting everything had weird patterns in it so the the drum shells actually had a lot of holes in them a lot of holes in them so the sound of it was not the sound of the shells it was more the sound of the heads but that's just me being a drum geek pointing that out it the drum they they held their shape they were tunable you know all of that stuff which is pretty cool and the bass was the same thing this bass had uh like a carving of the new york city skyline in it and it was printed as one thing. They put the pattern in and the whole thing printed out. So, uh, so check that video out. It's, um, it, it uh, you know, it was pretty certainly fit into cool stuff found, um, at least for me. Uh, so, you know, I like that kind of stuff when I see it at CES. Um, nice. The yeah. 3D printing. Did you see? Now, I saw a report of this. And, you know, like I told you, I went to some prior events and, and the yeah. cost of these are dropping like a rock. Yeah. Did you see the uh, XYZ printing um, uh, 3D printer? No, I didn't see that one. But so there's an article here. So anyway, so so yeah. just a, a quick plug here because it caught my eye. Yeah. Uh, this is a four ninety nine 3D printer. That's four cool. ninety not $499 US. That's cool, <laughs> me, man. Now, it may not be the fastest or sure. the best, but wow. I mean, 500 bucks, dude. I mean, that's, you know, that that's what we, you we pay paid for less a than regular we printer. Paid, we paid more than that for our laser printers when we yes, first bought we did. them. Yeah. We paid probably twice that. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't know what I'm going to 3D print yet, but, uh, but I, I don't think I do drums or something like that. But <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 It was pretty cool. So the other thing I saw, John, and I wanted to I just wanted to kind of round out the show with this last year at CES in the television realm. uh, Everybody was showing off their prototype, everybody, you know, Panasonic, LG and and Samsung were showing off their prototypes of curved screens. And and I saw them Mm -hmm. and everybody said, oh, yeah, it makes it more immersive because the edges aren't out of focus for you when you look at them. You know, as they would be if you're looking at a, um, you know, a, just a flat screen. Like, okay, fine. You know, and the screen is curved toward the edges of the screen are curved toward you. Not much. It's not a, you know, it's not like a crazy angle, but it's, you know, enough that they say that this makes a difference. And I said, yeah, whatever. 
Because on a trade show floor, it's really hard to know, right? I'm not in my living room. Uh, there's fluorescent lights and a zillion people around. It's like, yeah, whatever. It looks cool. You know, great. Uh, this year, they all have their curved TVs in their model lineups. So they're going to be selling these things. You, you might be able to buy them right now. Uh, uh, at least one company, LG, had a flexible TV. Now, this isn't like a flexible screen that you'd roll up and put in your pocket, but it is a flexible TV that with their remote control, you can change the uh, TV from perfectly flat to curved and back. Now, curved on this, I think it was a 70 inch TV. They had again, it's hard to tell scale on the on the show floor, but uh, the edges of it moved maybe five inches from flat to fully curved and back. And you could set it anywhere in between. And their whole concept was if you're watching the game and you've got, you know, 15 people in your house, you flatten it out so that you get good viewing angles from everywhere. But if you just, you know, snuggled up with your sweetie on the couch and you're watching a movie, you can curve it in and, you know, get that, you know, more in focus, more immersive experience. That may or may not be true. But what I found was it gave me the ability to a B on the spot at, you know, on the show floor. And it's about an eight second process to curve this screen with the with the remote as soon as they went from flat to curved i was immediately sold everything they were saying last year about the curved screens feeling more immersive and all of that is 100 percent true it's really cool so uh so i i i i did not buy into the concept i thought it was more and it may wind up being a thing like 3d where it's like eh, you know Cool, but not enough widespread use case to matter. But it definitely matters whether it, whether it's enough to justify going and getting a new TV or not. Eh, I don't know, but uh, but it's not just a bunch of marketing hooey. It it I I, I experienced it with my own uh, with, with my own eyes. That's because um, that's what I use nice. to look at the TV. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Now, let me ask you, though, the, the other thing that came up here, Dave, and, you know, the thing is, I have an HD TV, though. It's a 720p. Sure. Which is technically HD. Correct. So now they got the 4K yes. or Ultra HD, and there's a you know, minor difference between the two, but I think we'll call them the same thing. Yes. But uh, from what I understand, that that was a big thing, too. Now, I, I don't know if I'm, again, entirely sold on that. I mean, I'm still trying to upgrade my stuff to Blu-ray and HD, and now they're introducing more HD. It's like... I don't know about you. I mean, I, uh, from what I understand, you're happy with your, uh, you know, you got a plasma, which, you know, uh, seems to be dying a horrible death, right? We, we actually <laughs> just bought a new plasma. We bought a, we upgraded from a 42 in the living room to a 60 because um, I'm really happy with Panasonic's plasmas and they don't have really? them. They are done with plasma in their 24. That's what I heard. Lineup. I heard they, I heard they discontinue them. Yeah. So, oh. so for that reason, I wanted to get one before they discontinued them. Um, I'm very happy with plasma. I like the consistency you get out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas with LED, you know, if you're moving up and down, you get weird angles, and we sometimes watch on the floor and sometimes watch up on the yeah, couch. Yeah. So, um, so I figured I'd, I'd go plasma. And and actually, as it turns out, CNET's reviewers agreed. They said, mm-hmm. "Don't let Panasonic's uh, exit from the plasma business deter you. In fact, run out and buy a TV if you like plasma because these are some of the best." Yeah. So that's what yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I think I still have a I think it's a Samsung one of the first generation. I think it's a 720p. Uh, I think it's a CFL backlight. Yeah, but it's it's pretty. Works for me. 
Yeah, hey. it depends on your 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 room. The 42 worked great for us when we were kind of using... Well, you half. saw my room's small. Yeah. My room is small, so a 42-inch uh, 720p is fine. Yeah, and it was fine for us until we reconfigured our living room and kind of have things going mm. the long way, and then it was it's still it was still fine. Don't get me wrong, but it you know it was like, ah, yeah. yeah so. All right, so you want to do that thing, Dave? I hope you taped it, but you want to watch Helix. Helix. All right. I will, sci-fi. Uh, all right. Put, put it in the TiVo. It's, it's the latest thing from Sci-Fi. I believe the executive producer from uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica did it. It's, uh, yeah, it has to do with, uh, well, check it out. It's okay. on Sci-Fi. It looks, uh, it, it could be a could be a fringe replacement. We'll, we'll really? see. Really? Huh. Yeah, it's kind of sci-fi. There's conspiracy, government things. There's, you know, weird contagions and huh. diseases and all that fun stuff. I mean, it's just monkeys. They got monkeys. I mean, who doesn't love monkeys, right? Uh, sure. We love monkeys. <laughs> I like rats better, but. Well, uh, you know. Or an African gray. Hey. I don't I don't see it on my. I just tried searching for it uh, in the TiVo app and. Uh, I had I problems too. Okay. I, I searched under HD and I didn't find it, but if I search, yeah, Helix. Yeah, it doesn't come up. I mean, it, it comes up, really? but I don't. It doesn't seem to show up as an option for me to record. I'll have to mess with it more really? later. Now's really the wrong time for me to be messing with my television, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the thing is, we don't have to tell people about. You know, oh, we've already taken care of that. I think we talked uh, about feedback at MackieGap.com, so we don't have to talk about it again. We don't. No, (laughs) that's right. And now we've gone one over because we've said it four times. No, it's it's, uh, it's okay. It's okay. All right. Uh, I think that's that. We are here next weekend, John. I got to look at my schedule, but I think. I think the afternoon slot next weekend is uh, is going to mm. be the one, but we'll, we'll be recording on Sunday. It's uh, I think I think the afternoon slot. I, I might have I might have updated our schedule. I don't know. I don't know what to do about the following weekend though because I'm going to be in San Francisco for the uh, Mac 30th party. And if you are anywhere near the Bay Area, I know they haven't been pushing this a whole lot, um, but that's not because it's not going to be awesome. Ridley Scott's going to be there to speak. Uh, the original Mac design team are going to be there. I know Dan Kotke is involved. Dan was Steve's Steve Jobs' roommate when he went off to uh, India and all that stuff and up at Reed College. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else is going to be there. I think Mark, Mike Markola is going to speak. And, uh, then, uh, and really? then really, yeah, yeah. He's like he's like he's like the dude. Like, I the, know. Oh my god. Yeah. Have, I met, have we met him before? He's been to our. Uh, I've never. Ash? I've never met Mike. To my knowledge, um, so. I know we've had some Mac luminaries. Like I, I believe, uh, who who played with the band uh, one time? Who played uh, keyboards? Lot. Right? Oh yeah, Bud Tribble. Yes, played. yeah, that's right. He played keys with us <laughs> at one gig. Yeah, he's a great guy too. He's super smart. Bud's the dude that's respond. His team. I mean, it's not just Bud. His team is responsible for all the cool. Um, he might kill me for saying this. I don't think so. He's high <laughs> enough up there that he's okay. Uh, nobody's going to fire him. Um, they're the ones doing all the great um, Mavericks, like power management and memory compression and all of that stuff. Is uh, is Bud's team? He's super smart. He's headed like he's like VP really? of software engineering or something at, at, at Apple. But but yeah. All I got to say is Bud. Thank you. That the, the to me, dude. That stuff is. The, it's the, magic. The, as a techie, that that is most, some of the most brilliant stuff in Mavericks. I There's agree. all behind the scenes stuff that does things that you need, but you don't know that you need, but you really do. 
No, I love it. I mean, the power, just the power management alone. I'm like, I just love the detail they put in that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah, so there's going to be a ton of people there. Uh, it's at the Flint Center, which is where the Mac was originally introduced 30 years ago. It's on January 25th. You can buy tickets on Ticketmaster, and uh, and I will be there. Uh, the MacWorld All Star Band is is capping off the evening with a you know short little half hour set or whatever, so you get to see the All Stars as well. But uh, but really, the I, you know I'm stoked to play at it. Don't get me wrong, and I'm I'm really honored to be a part of it. But my big excitement is just about being at it. So uh, so definitely, if you're if you're nearby or if you just want to fly out, fly out. That's what I'm doing, and uh, and come join us. So. All right. I just I do want to make sure I thank uh, we thank Michael Johnston uh, from the We Have Communicators podcast and GetAppler.com. I got to see Michael while I was in Vegas. He was en route moving from uh, Illinois to California. And he passed through Vegas just so happens while I was there. So he, really? Yeah, he and I got to hang out and I got to meet. Um, wow, what a move. Madeline and, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I was so excited. It really reminds me of when Lisa and I kind of just picked up and moved down to Texas. It's, it's cool to see them kind of doing this together. So I'm stoked for them. But uh, so thank you, Michael. Visit uh, getapple.com if you if you would please, and and also go listen to Michael's podcast. We have communicators. It's a great show about iOS and all that good stuff. The Cashfly folks are awesome too. C a c h e f l y dot com. They uh, provide all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. And uh, and they had a booth at New Media Expo, and we're doing cool uh, caricatures. They had a guy doing caricatures on an iPad. And uh, yours uh, was pretty darn accurate. I thought so. Yeah, I think it caught. I think it caught the uh, the best of your uh, mm-hmm. visage. I I know. I thought he did a great job. So we, I might actually have that guy at Cirque du Mac too. Uh, but we'll we'll see about that. That would he's, be he's from the Bay that would Area. That would be awesome. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That would be an awesome. I know. Addition to the, I know that would, that would be totally in the Cirque spirit. Yep, I, I agree. Mean, we have all sorts of other artists. Yeah, yep. I think that'd be outstanding. Yep. So I gotta I gotta get with him about that, but uh, but we'll see. So but that's that's further off. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, of course, the uh, podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software and Yojimbo from Barebone Software. Gazelle, as I mentioned to the, earlier in the show, to sell all your stuff. Text Expander, PDF Pen, the whole PDF Pen suite from Smile, Squarespace, of course, uh, and, uh, and of course, Transporter uh, through Connected Data, FileTransporter.com. All through nice. the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. I know. It's good stuff. Now, Dave, what did you learn during your travels to CES and all that? I, I, I hope you can give us something here. Well, you know, I learned that proper planning is the, uh, the recipe for success. And, and really, I mean, we know that because it falls under the umbrella that, that we like to say, don't get caught. Yeah. Made up. 